Hello, my name is Domine de Grot, and you have arrived at the final chapter of Witch Hunter. It's been a wonderful journey these past 12 weeks, but now the epic comes to an end. That is to say, for now, and there will be an episode next week as well. Next week's episode will be the appendix, which sort of explains um, the history of the world, the background of Seven Peaks and the, the world of Witch Hunter. Think of it as a mini Silmarillion, if you will. <laughs> By the way, if you listen to the very end of this episode, a special secret will be revealed, known only to a few at this point. Anyway, I'm done rambling. Here is chapter 12 of Witch Hunter, called Requiem. Requiem. Samina watched in horrified silence as Adomir stood at the very edge of the abyss. The heart of the storyteller lay in his open, outstretched hand. The burned man's fingers closed, and she heard a horrible squelching sound. Prophecy was being fulfilled in front of her eyes, and it was dreadful. She looked away towards Ludlov. Judging by his face, he was contemplating simply pushing Adomir down into that endless darkness. Maria's murder. The storyteller's murder. The magicide act. So much death. All for her. So she could defeat Lucas. Adomir's actions had been inexcusable. He was a monster on par with Lucas. But Samina did understand that the evil had to be stopped. She glanced towards Adomir again. Red dust flew from his clenched fist, dwindling down into the abyss. On the edge of the abyss shall the last age dawn. The blood of the maiden shall take up the weapon of Lucas. Evil no more. Her sacrifice shall end his reign. She contemplated those words. If she was indeed the blood of the maiden, she would be taking up the weapon. But what did evil no more mean? Would Lucas be evil no more? Or the weapon? And what about her sacrifice? Was planting the enemy's weapon in his chest a sacrifice? She would die in that act. She realized that, but she didn't fear death. Great warriors from history would have wished for no more than such a death. Was she the ultimate warrior? Or was she something else? No, she thought. She was the blood of the maiden. An act of violence, even when aimed at the evil himself, was not the great sacrifice of the maiden. Evil no more. A piercing stench of burning flesh and hair emanated from the chasm. Adomir turned from the edge and walked back. 
He eyed Sigurd, who gave a curt nod in reply, and handed his master the black sickle. Standing there, with the evil blade readied in his hand, Adomir truly emanated all the menace of Lucas himself. How could this once have been the man Ludlov had loved and admired? Sigurd remained stalwartly by his master's side like a loyal dog. All around, the hundreds of sad white eyes of the lost souls looked down on them from their balconies. They seemed to be waiting. Ludlov couldn't shake the feeling that they were anticipating something, or hoping for something. He wondered whether they might have salvation somehow, or whether they would have to keep on serving their poorly chosen master, free or in chains, for all eternity. It wasn't fair. Samina's face was racked by doubt. Was she still considering the idea of wielding the black sickle? And what of Sigurd? If through her blood Samina was the maiden herself, then he was the maiden's own brother. He too shared the seven bloodlines, and yet he had shown himself to be nothing more than a pawn in Adomir's scheme, bereft of all will. The maiden's blood only flowed in women's veins, Ludlov knew. It could disappear for generations and then resurface. It wasn't like ordinary blood. But still... He couldn't understand how Sigurd could so pervert his celestial heritage that he was now participating in the summoning of Lucas himself. Looking in the fiery eyes behind the raven mask, he saw only urgency and determination, but no will, no passion of his own. It was quiet, save for the perpetual rumbling sound from beneath their feet that was slowly rising. The four stood, watching each other, waiting. There was nothing left to say. Was there anything left to do? Ludlov couldn't kill Adomir, and assaulting Sigurd was equally pointless. He would only bereave Samina of what was left of her brother. It wouldn't do anything to stop what had been irrevocably set in motion. The silence broke all of a sudden. Ludlov flinched as a sound suddenly arose from above and around him. The lost souls who had been watching the drama unfold in silence had begun to make the sound. It was a deep, sad sound. At first it seemed like they were imitating the rumblings from the abyss with their voices, but slowly their voices grew brighter and clearer, and there was even a harmonious quality to it. They sang. Their deep voices rose up, filling the cavern. De profundis clamamus ad te, Domina. Adomir and Sigurd exchanged nervous glances. Clearly they hadn't expected this, and they had no idea what it meant. De profundis in hora mortis. The singing turned deep, and full and mellifluent. The choir was all around them, and their song came from the depths of depths. What they sang was a prayer of pleading, a call for help, not to Lucas, but to the goddess. Then the balcony began to quake. Samina stumbled, and Ludlow was only just in time able to catch her. 
For a moment, the whole cave was trembling. Little nuggets of rock hailed down, some simply crashing into the tiles, others rolling from the balcony into the depths. Luckily, none of them hit their heads. The entire quake lasted only a few seconds. Once it had passed, there was quiet. The song of prayer had ended. Everyone had their eye on the dark, gaping hole beyond the balcony. Ludlov noticed Samina was still shivering. He saw the fear in her eyes and wanted to comfort her, but he didn't know how. There was no doubt in Ludlov's mind. Much as he admired her in so many ways, she would never fight the devil himself and defeat him with his own weapon. He grabbed her and held her close. He would not give her up. Out of the quiet depths, smoke rose. It was a black cloud, so thick it almost looked like some solid thing, wreathing and twisting. It moved up out of the chasm, much more slowly and somehow more elegantly than ordinary smoke would. Out of the cloud, a voice suddenly came. It was soft as silk, pleasant and refined, and yet strong and masculine. Hic mea. The voice spoke lingua. This is my hour. Lady Hoskiv knelt in front of the majestic stone of the Grand Cathedral's altar. The light behind the colorful grand window was dull and murky, but the image it held was still clearly visible. The Grand General's eye was on the depiction of the maiden, floating above the earth and bleeding. Seven red drops left her broken body, raining down to the surface like meteors. Hoskiv rested her forehead on the ruby set in Ludlov's ring, which she held clasped between the thumb and index finger of her right hand. Her left hand enveloped her right in prayer. Please, I beg of you, help us. The ground shook, and everyone in the hall gasped. Gorlivosk put his hand on Hoskiv's shoulder. Um, Grand General... The Colossi are here. They have surrounded the Grand Market. His voice broke. What must we do? She felt his grip on her shoulder grow more firm. She knew he was seeking some sort of comfort or answer, but there was nothing she could offer him. Choose. Korivosk hadn't heard her. He bowed down to hold his head next to hers. My lady? Choose how you want to die. You can choose for yourself. Gorivosk swallowed hard. To be frank, my lady, I would prefer not to die this night. There was no hope, and she would not lie to him. She wanted to look him in the eye and tell him that even though death was near... He should not be afraid, for the goddess herself would soon welcome him in paradise. But the world was falling apart. This was the devil's hour. 
and Lady Hoskiv wondered if even the gates of heaven could stand against his onslaught. And so she kept silent and felt his hand leaving her shoulder. She looked up to him, wanting to say something kind. He deserved that at least. Kulibosk. He didn't respond. He was staring up ahead towards the window. Following his gaze, she saw a small shadow behind the glass. Then... It shattered right between the maiden's feet and the earth. Shards rained inside, singing brightly, followed by a majestic falcon. The bird glided down in a curve and landed on the altar right in front of the Grand General. The animal's gleaming black eyes met Hoskiv's own with confidence, even pride. More than any towering demon colossus, the look in the eye of this small creature made Lady Hoskiv, Grand General of the Witch Hunter Order, feel like she was but a tiny pawn in a massive game. A shock went through her when the falcon screeched and its fierce voice echoed through the building like a war cry. Then it took off high over the heads of the warriors, witch hunters and guardsmen who still remained in the cathedral. The bird flew high, then turned and dove elegantly towards an open door that led to a side chapel. It flew through it and disappeared. Hoskiv didn't need to think. She immediately rose, put the ring on her finger and rushed to follow the bird if she still could. Golivosk and a few others followed her. In the chapel, the Grand General found the falcon sitting on a candelabra. It shrieked again as she entered. It was leading her on. The bird took off and flew towards a heavy wooden door. It scratched the wood with its talons, then circled again. Hoskiv opened the door, allowing the falcon to flutter down a steeply winding staircase into the depths. Saying nothing to her followers, she rushed down. They all followed. The bird led them down to an undercroft beneath the cathedral and flew past a tomb. The tomb belonged to Cardinal Voronitz. The falcon ignored the sarcophagus, flying instead to what looked like a trapdoor. It was heavily damaged and some of the boards were loose. The falcon pushed and pulled at the boards with its beak, like it was trying to move them out of the way on his own. Golivosk quickly knelt down and removed the loose wood. The bird didn't wait a moment longer and flew down into a deep, dark tunnel. Drawing his gaze away from the black clouds, Ludlov saw how Samina jittered and shook as a wave of some unseen force passed through her body. She stumbled and fell, dangerously close to the abyss. He reached for her, and just as he grabbed Samina's arm, an icy wind rose from the depths. Ludlov's cloak fluttered as the wind cleaved through his very bones. The choir of lost souls began singing again, while the wind traveled in a spiral movement up out of the chasm, concentrating on the black cloud, shredding its edges and shaping it like a hedge into a form that vaguely resembled a man. Out of the midst of that inky swirl now appeared a bright light, 
as white and clear as a star. For a brief moment, Ludlow thought it was Semina's white light, but it couldn't be. It came out of the very center of the black cloud and flickered like a flame. Still, this light grew, dissolving the black cloud surrounding it, much like Sigurd's swarm of ravens had dissolved the fire of Ludlow and Semina's pyre. The uneven white light swam on the cavernous stone all around like sunlight, reflecting from water in a cave. Then it brightened so much that Ludlow instinctively held one arm before his eyes while holding on to Semina with his other. Slowly, the whiteness softened. It diminished, but it also gained shape. At first, it was but a cloudy smudge of brightness. But then, the denoting features of a figure became clearly visible. Wings, white and immaculate, like snow on a mountain. And hair, draped like a waterfall, over the shoulders of an angel, in a simple but beautiful robe. All the same perfect white. Contrary to so many depictions of angels, this one carried no attribute or weapon of any kind. The face was perfectly symmetrical and androgynous. And the eyes... The eyes... The eyes were the cobalt blue of a cloudless summer sky. And though they looked strange and alien, they were mesmerizingly beautiful. The wind had died, and so had the song of the choir. All eyes were fixed on the celestial being that now arose out of that darkest of places. I thank you. It was the same dulcet voice Ludlow had heard from the cloud earlier. He regarded the apparition, his mind flooding with confusion. Was this Lucus? What was the meaning of this? There was no time to think about it. The angel spoke again. You have freed me. The angel's gaze went to all four of them. Adomir knelt and bowed his head, and Sigurd followed his example immediately. Ludlov and Samina remained where they were, utterly puzzled. Master! Adomir was enraptured. Master? Lucas, was this truly him? Glided out of the chasm, towering twenty feet above Ludlov's head, towards Adomir. I have made every sacrifice, Master. The angel didn't reply, but instead he plucked Adomir's witch hunter hat from his head and threw it away into the darkness. The bald, crusty pate of the former witch hunter was clearly visible. Lucas laid a gentle hand on Adomir's head. Master, heal me. Lucas smiled softly. Your sacrifice will be rewarded. Adomir, the Deliverer. But first, the sickle. Adomir raised his head and both his hands, humbly offering up the weapon. 
What are you doing? Adomir ignored Ludlov, if he was even aware of him at all. Ludlov's heart tightened as Lucas accepted the weapon he hadn't held since the dawn of time. The weapon that had made him into the evil. The weapon that had slain the maiden. It rested solemnly on his open palms. He didn't snatch it. He didn't raise it. He simply let it rest there. The blood of the maiden shall take up the weapon of Lucus. Evil no more, Ludlow thought. Evil no more. Could it be that Lucas was no longer the terrible demon Ludlow had expected? Lucas now turned to Sigurd. He took the raven beak of his mask, turning the young mage's face towards him. Your offer will be great. Are you prepared to make it? I am prepared, master. Sigurd was trembling with emotion. The angel gave him a gracious smile and turned again, now grasping the handle of the sickle with both of his massive, luminous hands. He glided back to the edge of the abyss and paused, gazing into its depths. Then his head turned and he looked at Samina. Dear maiden, I am honored to see you again at last. Samina remained as still and silent as a statue, so Lucas considered her to be the maiden herself. Could it be true? And if it was, would she in any way retain any memories of her celestial origins? The angel's eyes were so full of warmth and understanding and yet they were so inhuman. Ludlow felt his vigilance weaken, his distrust ebb away. It was replaced by insecurity and humility. He felt tiny and inconsequential. Who was he to judge a being older than the earth itself? Could it not be that Lucas had indeed returned as an angel? that he had cast off his demonic existence and returned to his true self? I hope that you can forgive me. Samina didn't respond. She who gave you to the world could not. I believe my sin was too great. Now... After centuries of imprisonment in the dark, I have learned what penitence is. A silver light, like the sun rising over a calm winter sea, awakened in the depths of his eyes as he spoke. I loved you. Long have I believed that it was my love for you that brought me to madness. But the silence beneath the earth has granted me insight. No one moved. There was only Lucas's voice in the enormous cavern. The lost souls looked on in silence. Love is never madness. Love 
is never evil. Those eyes! Adomir and Sigurd were on their knees in utter submittal. They seemed to be cherishing every word the angel said. Rudlov wondered at their intensity and then looked at Samina right next to him. In her eyes, there was no trace of that submittal, only the same frightened uncertainty he felt himself. Love means to give oneself. Lucas sighed softly. Both of his arms began moving in a very slow, soundless movement. Love means sacrifice. The movement continued in a graceful arc. But Ludlow was transfixed by the angel's eyes. They were huge, soft, and empathic. They were not clearly the eyes of a man, nor of a woman, but of a being beyond the divisions of gender, towering high above everything. Towering high, like the sickle was now in Lucas's hand, high above his head. My sacrifice. My sacrifice of all I have ever loved. A shock as hard as falling through a sheet of ice passed through Ludlow's gut. The sickle! He had been so hypnotized by the eyes he hadn't even noticed. Farewell, beloved maiden. No! Before Ludlow even knew what he was doing, he was pushing Samina out of the way towards Adomir and Sigurd and threw himself in her place. He fell on his knees as the black sickle slashed down at him. The dark metal cut straight through his clothing, into his skin. It carved through his muscle and buried deep in his flesh. An explosion of searing pain traveled through his body petrifying him in a flash of icy cold and scorching heat at once. The sickle didn't slide through his chest, but it was pulled out of it, ripped out of it, with a horrible cracking of ribs and tearing of sinew. He saw his own bright red blood streaming over his body like a waterfall and soil the perfect white of the angel's robe. Everything became unclear and unreal. The pain that had carved through his body subsided, leaving behind nothing. His entire body was numb. The last he heard was Samina's voice, screaming his name, shrill and high, like the call of a falcon.
turned to darkness. I saw nothing, heard nothing, until your voice resounded and you lit your candle. The candle had been reduced to nothing more than a tiny stump, and the light was almost out, but it had not yet completely burned. The face of the timeless man remained as patient as before, undisturbed by how little time was left. As Ludlow had been regaling the story of his life, he had experienced it all again, down to that last agony that had ended his life. Now, his story was told, and he felt spent, empty, and incapable of telling any more. Still, he mustered the will to ask death a single question. Before their time ended, he would need to know the answer. What happened after I died? What then? Death shook his head slowly. He would have to know. Not then. There is no time here. What you speak of is happening now. Puzzled, Ludlow regarded the man's peaceful face. What did he mean? There is no time here that has any bearing on the mortal world, Ludlow. You must know that. It took no time there to tell your story here. So I cannot know? Death shook his head again, and Ludlow's heart sank. I did not say that. You can choose, Ludlow. Choose? Ludlow had no idea what that meant. All of his theological readings had left him unprepared for the mysteries of the afterlife. Your body is returning to life as we speak. Ludlow's eyes widened. How was that possible? He had been pierced by the very blade of Lucas itself. Samina. The candlelight had been reduced to a mere glow in a puddle of wax. Death now looked like just a face, his robes impossible to discern in the spreading darkness. You have the choice to accept that resuscitation, and so return to the pains, dangers, temptations and pitfalls of the world. Or you can stay here, meet with the judgment of your own life and pass on, perhaps to see the goddess and your beloved Maria at last perhaps to undergo the harsh but hopeful pains of cleansing. The temptations of the world. Ludlow shook his head. They are as nothing compared to the temptation to stay here. He smiled. I want nothing more than to find peace and to be closer to Maria even if I have to face a hundred years of penitence first. The impossible, his dream of dreams, his heart's desire to be with her again. For years he had struggled to find a hint of light in his life despite her absence. He had been grateful for his nightmares because at least he had been able to see her face in them. Now, the road was open, 
to Maria's real, warm and loving embrace. He could already picture her, waiting for him with open arms. Her skin would not be cold and white like marble, but warm and soft like he remembered. Her eyes would not be glassy orbs staring into nothingness, but Maria's eyes again, gleaming with joy. And he would hear her voice, calling out his name. That made his heart burn with yearning more than any other thought. Perhaps, indeed, his battles had been fought, his part had been played, and he was ready to find peace. He bowed his head. He wasn't. I can't accept it. Once he had spoken those words, he felt the weight of a closing portcullis fall down onto his heart. If I'm given the chance to return, then I believe that means I still have work to do on earth. He looked up to face death. But as he did so, the last remaining glow of the candle flickered and died. It was dark again. You've just saved yourself from a hundred years of penitence, friend. Then Ludlow felt cold and dizzy, and he felt pain creeping into his body. He wanted to say goodbye to death, to share one more cordial exchange, but he couldn't even think about it because... At that moment, a wave of blinding pain surged through him and the quiet darkness disappeared. Instead, there was noise, chaos and screams all around him. Ludlow's eyes opened. He sucked in the air involuntarily and coughed. <coughs> Samina was there, knelt down and cushioning his head on the palm of her hand. Every part of him hurt, except the terrible wound in his chest, where he felt a gentle warmth, like the summer's sun. Samina's other hand was resting there. She smiled at him. Confused, Ludlov looked down to his chest and saw the wound had healed. Completely healed. He had been ripped open. He had seen his own blood. Samina? He looked at her again, and though nothing about her had changed, he didn't see a barefooted gypsy girl in a stained dress. He did not even see a strong and accomplished spellcaster. What he saw, fully and irrevocably, was a truly great and powerful being, more ancient and awesome than the Grand Cathedral itself. You will not die like this, Ludlow. There was such authority in her voice that he believed her. Beyond Samina's face, he could see the archangel Lucus. His huge eyes were no longer empathic and understanding, but full of seething, steaming hatred. His virtuous white robe was splattered with blood. Ludlow realized it was his blood that had soiled the angel. Before he could fully grasp the miracle that had happened to him, he heard once more the shrill voice he had picked up in that last moment before his encounter at death's door. That shriek had not come from Samina. It was a falcon. Falcon! 
The bird dived down from on high with all the speed of a shooting star, attacking the angel's face. He buried his talons in Lucas's skin and picked at his eyes with his beak. The archangel howled in anger and pain, and behind the fervently fluttering bird, Ludlov could see glistening, bubbling black blood, like boiling oil. The demonic substance poured from Lucas's face, clattering down and further dirtying the robes. The angel's howls turned to a roar and slimy roar, as of an animal being slaughtered. And finally, they became something unlike the sound of any man or beast. It was a horrendous, agonizing scream, slicing through sound itself and echoing through the cave. The angel's white skin dried, cracked and flaked, finally falling off of it. The white wings burned in black flames, revealing bony, leathery bat wings. Fulcrin fluttered away from the deformed face, using this moment of chaos and weakness to grab the sickle in his talons and fly up. The falcon had taken the black sickle itself from Lucas. My loyal friend. Ludlov regretted that he had never shown those feelings to the bright bird before. He sat up, supporting himself on his elbows. Samina let go of him and turned her face towards Lucas. The demon's true nature had been revealed, and now he shed all pretense. He grew even more. Fulcrin was little more than an insect to him now. The real Lucas, a horned demon as dark as darkness, looked down on all those gathered at the abyss, if indeed he still could. His eyes were now reduced to empty sockets from which a glowing red mist emanated. A rain of bullets spat against the demon's chest with a furious noise. Ludlov could not move, and he could not see who had shot the bullets. But he knew that Falkrin had led Lady Hoskiv and her witch hunters to this underworld. He tried to make the slightest movement, but he was still too weak. Behind the demon's bat wings, he saw the gathered lost souls singing again in their deep tones. Their voices were overwhelmed by the pointless black powder wasted on the demon, but Ludlov still heard what they were singing. Domina, dona nobis requiem, dimite nobis debita nostra. Forgiveness, forgiveness. They were singing for the goddess's forgiveness. Then he felt Semina's hand on his face. Dark hair fell in front of his eyes, and a warm tear fell on his cheek. We will meet again, Ludlov of Seven Peaks. Then she stood up, and he saw her walking in front of the demon. A tiny woman, surrounded by darkness. Ludlov swallowed. He prayed fervently that he would be able to produce something more. He tried to use his voice, but a lump in his throat unforgivingly blocked his attempt. His voice was gone, but with a huge effort that cut through his lungs, his trachea and his throat, he breathed more than whispered through his cracked and dried lips. Forgiveness. In all the noise of singing, 
firing, screeching, roaring and howling. Samina could not possibly have heard him. But still, she turned to him for just a hint of a second and looked straight at him. And Ludlow knew she had understood. For that moment, as brief as the blink of an eye, their gazes were locked and words were no longer needed. Then Samina turned to the demon, who simply ignored the bullets that had been fired at him and stood facing her patiently. She raised her arm and opened her hand. Needing no command, Fulcrin, who had been circling to the top of the cave, dove down and let the black sickle fall from his talons into Samina's open hand. She grabbed the handle in a firm grip and called out in a voice as loud and powerful as she could muster above all the noise that surrounded her. The goddess forgives you. The souls on the balconies stopped singing. Their moon eyes shut all at once. Hundreds of lights suddenly dissolving into a trailing silver mist that swirled into a vortex to one central point. The sickle in Samina's hand. There was a light so bright that for a moment everything disappeared and there was only that pure, immaculate white. It was a light a thousand times more powerful than what Lucas had used in his attempt to deceive them. A light that in its immeasurable strength still emitted compassion and consolation. When that moment of pure whiteness had subsided, only Samina remained, and in her hand was the black sickle, radiating a silent power that could be felt in every corner of the cavern. Mesmerized and frozen, Ludlow took in what had happened. Once forgiven, all the lost souls had been freed from Lucas's grasp, and they had now come to fuel the sickle with a new and different power. A power granted by forgiveness. Everything was still. Even Lucas had recoiled. He watched Samina from afar. She simply stood there, holding the bright relic aloft. And then she spoke with the voice of the goddess. You, who would trample upon all my children. You, who would shed all my blood. You, who are blind and deaf and would lay waste to all that you cannot see or hear. I give you your sickle. Reap what you have sown. Then she took the sickle by its blade and stretched out the handle towards her foe. Rising again, Lucas glided towards her, looked down and said in his true, monstrous voice, Will you offer me your chest at last? Take my tears, my blood and my life. Every soul in the cavern watched in stunned silence as Lucas took the handle, lifted it high up, and let it slide down towards her. 
Ludlov squeezed his eyes shut. He shook as he heard how the blade found its target with a heart-wrenching slash. He felt the pain as a writhing serpent of heat and cold burrowing through his body. He absorbed it, lived through it with full awareness in the hope that he could carry the agony along with her to lessen her burden. He heard her cry out. The sound of her voice, ravaged and forlorn, broke his heart. He heard that cry echoing in the void, rising up to the heavens. Then, it was silent. He opened his eyes again, and saw that Samina was gone. There was no murdered body, no pool of blood, nothing. She had simply disappeared. For just a moment, Lucas was holding the black sickle triumphantly above his head, his jaws wide open. The only blood that Ludlow could see was there, on the blade of the sickle. There also were the twinkling lights of her tears, bright like stars. The mingled fluid of perfect blood and tears dripped from the blade into his mouth. The demon groaned in satisfaction. But his dark fist was trembling. Then Ludlov noticed that not Lucas, but the weapon itself was quivering. The demon closed his fist on its handle, but the sickle kept jittering like something inside was about to push its way out. White flames burst forth from it, and with a hellish shriek, Lucas let go of the handle. The sickle remained hovering in the air, unperturbed by everything else. The white flames did not consume the sickle, but transformed it. All its darkness was burned away, revealing an unblemished white beneath, and light shone out of it, a warm, gentle, and soothing light that danced playfully on the cavern walls. When the flames at last had passed, what remained was a vision of purity and beauty so strong that Lady Hoskiv and her men all fell on their knees before it. A white sickle. Lucas cried out in despair. The horrible sound was sickening to hear. His vast figure shrunk to a small shadow, less even than a man. And as it diminished, even the gaping maw of the abyss faded, and in its stead there appeared now the solid earth of the cave, rough and old and natural, like it had always been there. He flailed and clawed and cursed, but the great demon was powerless. Finally, Lucas was nothing more than a fleeting shadow, such as one might see by the passing of a torch creeping away along the rocky terrain into the dark corners and cracks of the cavern. Then he was gone. The white sickle remained and bathed the cave in a bright, soothing light.
the blood of the maiden shall take up the weapon of Lucas. Evil no more. Her sacrifice shall end his reign. It was silent in the cave now, peaceful even. Despite all the horrors that had occurred this day, the light that emitted from the sickle lifted all sorrow from Ludlow's heart. He felt joyful, like a child waking up on the first day of summer, and yet as calm and reasoned as a wise old man. He slowly got up and looked around. On the opposite end of the cave were Lady Hoskiv, Golivosk, and the small band of Seven Peaks' finest. Between them and Ludlov stood Adomir and Sigurd. Ludlov slowly paced towards his former mentor. He heard a familiar flapping of wings behind him as he did so, and Falkrin landed on his shoulder. The witch hunter stopped in his tracks and took a moment to stroke the falcon's chest. You would make one fine witch hunter, my friend. You! How dare you call yourself a witch hunter! Lady Hoskiv was calling out from the other side of the cave. You did this! You betrayed us all! Ludlov looked at her, startled and confused. Then he saw that she was not addressing him, but Adomir. My lady, I fear you are mistaken. I merely did what was needed to speed Lucas's return in order to defeat him. No, you didn't, Adomir. I saw you offer up the sickle to him. He continued his path towards the two men. Give up the pretense, Adomir. You never intended for Samina to defeat him. Lady Hoskiv and her men formed a circle, enclosing Adomir and Sigurd. Is this true? Adomir did not reply, but Sigurd ripped off the raven mask and showed his face. It was ravaged by tears and anguish. Yes, it is true. His words prompted a hateful stare from Adomir. We did want to summon Lucas and serve him. We were the Black Sickle. But it is over now. He's defeated, gone to lick his wounds in some unknown place for an unknown time, and all the monsters of hell have gone with him. Seven Peaks, or what remains of it, is safe for now. And all of this has happened by the hand of my sister. Then he turned to Adomir, and he trembled as he spoke. You taught me there was no hope left in this world, Adomir. You taught me that only in the eclipse of our souls we could still find salvation. And I looked at seven peaks 
its hypocrisy, its complacency, and I believed it. Sigurd looked at the white sickle, and as its light reflected in his tears, Ludlov was reminded of Samina. He bit his lips. He was not yet ready to accept her departure from this world. Sigurd shook his head. Forgive me, sister. Forgive me. Fresh tears rolled from his eyes, and he fell on his knees, sobbing. Lady Hoskiv gave Ludlov a meaningful look. What do we do with this one? Ludlov honestly didn't know. Sigurd was guilty of murder and the worst treason imaginable. It seemed only right that he should be executed. And yet, after what he had just seen, Ludlov couldn't possibly even contemplate that. He didn't understand why, but apparently Hoskiv sensed it as well. Or she would have already ordered her men to take Sigurd to the dungeons to await his execution. Looking down at the pitiful little man, Ludlov thought back to the mayor, who had looked just as wretched and powerless in his last moments. Here was a man who had sent his own sister to death, who had betrayed all of mankind and formed an alliance with evil itself. And yet, his contrition was true. Ludlov knew a thing or two about murder and betrayal, and he did not feel even slightly superior to Sigurd. I will guard him. He surprised even himself. Everyone, even Adomir, frowned at him. Spare his life and I will watch over him. I will see to it that he commits no further crimes. <laughs> Sigurd looked up at him, his face still red with shame and grief. I swear to you, Ludlov, I will serve you for as long as I live. For as long as I live. Yes, well, if you hadn't been so quick with such oaths, you might have never landed in this position in the first place. You spineless worm! Adomir sneered at Sigurd as the younger man tried to kiss Ludlov's boots. Ludlov quickly withdrew his feet, but only barely managed to shake off the man's lips. Expect no such lip-wobbling sentiment from me, witch hunters. Rapiers were drawn all around him, but Adomir ignored them and shook his head. You are all fools, but you have played your part to perfection. He grinned and spread his arms. Do you not see? All of this was my doing, my plan, the summoning of Lucus, the sacrifice of the maiden. Do you know the last line of the prophecy from the word of Wolfen Ludlow? Ludlow shook his head. It is this, but the burned man shall rise and be king. A maniacal glint shone in Adomir's eyes. Then he came very close to Ludlov and said, Now you may kill me, if you wish. No, old friend. I will not do such a thing. So you really have become but a soft shadow of what you once were. Bah! I pity you. 
Ludlow gently pushed the burned man away. He was weak now, resorting to cheap taunts. It would be best to keep it that way. Perhaps if he were bound in black metal and jailed, he could be questioned. They might learn how a blade slid into Adamir's back and pierced through his chest. His eyes widened, as did that horrible grin. There was a guttural laugh, smothered by blood coalescing in the back of his throat, and then, at last, a contented sigh. As Adomir died, it was a far better death than he deserved. Immediately after, a chill wind blew by, slicing through Ludlov's very bones. It lasted for only a second, but to the witch hunter its significance was very clear. Gorlivosk had a smug look on his face as he dropped the body to the ground. Gorlivosk, you fool. Ludlov tried to keep his voice low and controlled. The younger witch hunter's satisfied smirk turned into a confused frown at that. If you think he is defeated now, think again. You allowed his spirit to escape. What do you mean? Hoskiv stepped forward. He was asking to be killed. I'm certain he took precautions a long time ago, using dark magic. I fear we are not yet rid of Adamir. Forgive me, Master Ludlov. I was blinded by my arrogance. Gorlivosk started to bow. Ludlov held up his hand in protest. Please, don't. Bowing and scraping will not change what you have done. He glanced down at Sigurd, who quickly looked away. Then Ludlov and everyone else fell quiet, and they all turned to the light of the white sickle. Let no more blood be spilled in this cave. Once, this was the abyss. Now, it is hallowed ground. Ludlov walked away from the company towards the radiant sickle. This is the place where the maiden defeated Lucas. The tide has turned at last. A new age has begun. Lady Hoskiv followed Ludlov, and without speaking, she slowly kneeled before the radiant weapon hovering before them. Others did the same, one by one. When Ludlov looked at the white sickle again now, it was like he was truly taking it in for the first time. A slender, radiantly white thing, vibrant, with innate power, yet so delicate in form. Like Samina. She had died. He had seen it happen before his eyes. And yet, he didn't feel she was dead. She was here, with him. Having met death in person, Ludlov didn't grieve for her. He didn't feel any anger or remorse. He didn't need revenge, forgiveness or anything else. How could he? Here, in her presence, the shadow in his heart that had driven and tortured him was no more. She had wiped it all away, 
How he missed those eyes and that smile, though. He would miss her as he missed Maria, confident that he would see both of them again. He felt inside the breast pocket of his jerkin. The earring she had given him was still there. He clasped it and held it up. A gift from Samina. One last thing by which he could remember her. He brought it to his lips and then put it back respectfully. Then he kneeled before the sickle. For seven years, this weapon had been the symbol of his deep, unquenchable hatred. Now, it had become the symbol of her divine sacrifice. Hope beyond hope. And from that sacrifice, something else had come. The same light that had touched his heart on his dark journey with Samina could now reach all who would come to see it. Ludlov didn't doubt that this cave would become a place of pilgrimage. Thousands would come here, and they would gaze upon the white sickle and have their hearts filled with the love of the maiden. That love now shone from the very weapon that had slain her. Koda. Near the end of year one, according to the Saminan calendar. Hans leaned with one arm on the wooden beam above the hearth and smiled lovingly at his wife, who was sitting in a chair by the fire. In her arm she cradled a tiny, pink little wonder of a human being swaddled in linen. Isn't he beautiful, Hans? Yes, dear. The most beautiful child I've ever seen. The baby woke up. Not for the first time. Little twinkles like starlight glimmered near the edges of her beautiful eyes. She still cries tears of silver. Tara gently caressed the girl's head. She recalled Samina's face and wondered what this strange connection meant. She refused to worry about it now. After the horrors she and Hans had escaped in Seven Peaks, nothing daunted them anymore. Our darling little girl. If only she could have arrived in this world in happier times. Hans knelt down and touched the baby's perfect cheek. Then he looked up at Tara. Don't be afraid, my love. Happier times will come. Didn't your card say as much? Tara smiled. She knew Hans had never put that much stock in her predictions, 
even though he had witnessed her accuracy many times before. And now this beautiful girl appeared in our lives. If that is not a sign of hope, I don't know what is. New times are coming, love. Tara let her fingers slide through her husband's hair and pulled his head to her chest. She kissed his forehead and gave him a long and loving look. Exploring his face with the tips of her fingers, she repeated the core of what he had said. Hope. Hans nodded. What do you think of that name? Espera. Hope in Arcanic. It felt right. In fact, it felt so right that nothing else was thinkable. Yes, our girl will have an arcanic name. She will command the language of magic like no one before. You may be the last of all magicians, Tara. If so, then Espera will be the only one who can carry on that gift. She holds the future. Espera. Hope. Hope will heal this darkened world.
So, as I promised there would be a revelation at the end of the episode, here it is. Uh, last time you already heard the voice of my wife, Eileen, and here I am introducing you to her again. Dear listeners of the Audio Epics podcast, I have a special announcement for you today. Here it is. My husband, Domin, and I are expecting a baby in November. That's right, and we need your help, because... While we do have a boy's name, we still don't have a good girl's name if the baby turns out to be a girl, which we don't know yet. So if you have any suggestions, please leave your ideas in the comment section on YouTube or on our Facebook page. Isn't that right, Elin? Yes, that would be great. And uh, we're looking forward to your uh, suggestions. And we have already considered Samina and, um, you know... Please come up with something more original than that. <laughs> now, if someone would manage to actually come up with a name that makes us say, that's it, that's the one we want. Well, in that case, we have to reward that person. And we will. We will send you um, the full version of Witch Hunter with uh, a bunch of extras, including the music, wallpapers, illustrations, etc. Yeah, that seems fair. Indeed. All right. So, for now... This is us signing off.